So, coming to the end of another day here at Guy House on our retreat, day of practice. Uh, for some, <clears throat> for some, it's uh, been a difficult day, a sense of struggle, and perhaps feeling all one can do to stay here, stay in the form of it. And for others, more easeful, uh, peaceful, and uh, feels very um, supportive. Uh, and for some of us, a bit of both, moving between perhaps feeling difficult to feeling more pleasant. Uh, so in the course of one day, one can go through many different uh, experiences and states and reactions and responses, all happening within this mind, um, all happening within our own uh, reactivity, our own uh, experience, uh, because you know the the flow of Gaia House is uh, is pretty much uh, a set thing. It flows on, and then within that, uh, the projections of the mind create all sorts of uh, experiences, all sorts of uh, realities, all sorts of storylines. So, you know, generally speaking, it's it's it is challenging to come into a retreat. I think just having begun to meet with our groups and check in with people. This is, uh, on the most part, something that's quite uh, shared, articulated, that uh, it isn't necessarily a breeze, um, that uh, it's quite challenging to be confronted with uh, our uh, ourselves, our feelings, uh, the habits of, uh, that we bring into this space, into this stillness, the momentum of our lives, having to, to stop and uh, without much distraction and be with that. So, so I'd like to, uh, this is only the second day in, and <laughs> it can already feel quite a long time, So, but I would just like to encourage uh, you to stay with the process. Usually... Having done many of these retreats, usually there is a kind of a pattern to it that often for many people, uh, the first few days are quite challenging, quite difficult as we settle in and just adjust and relax and allow the, the flow of the retreat to um, support us and we trust it a bit more and we get connected a bit more profoundly with the practice. So just to encourage you to stay with the, the process. So tonight I'd like to uh, speak to some of the themes that Jitindri has already opened up for us to pick up some of those and hopefully weave in a few questions that have come our way and hopefully move us on a bit more. Uh, hopefully tie it up in a bow and package it and present it to you in some <laughs> some way <laughs> so um, maybe to uh, gather in a little bit what we have been doing this uh, first few days we've been encouraging this practice of just steadying, of calming what's called samatha, samatha samadhi samatha meaning the calming meditation bringing the attention uh, to a calming object breath, sound for the sake of steadying and gathering the energies of mind, body, and heart, the 
what we call the uh, kaya sankara, the bodily energies, uh, working with anapanasati, the working with the being within the breath, noticing the breath energy as it moves uh, through the kaya, the rupa and the kaya, the sense of both the coarser sense of the body and the subtler sense of the energetic body, uh, feeling the, the breath energy suffusing the bodily form, helping to uh, steady and uh, um, um, ground the mental, the mano sankara, the mental activity, so that we can bring into relationship the 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 the, the um, pressure of the thinking mind that's so often just pushing us forward or pulling us into memory, helping guide that with the vitaka, with the directing of our attention, using the thought forms to direct our attention into this present moment, into relationship with breath, with body, uh, and also bringing that quality of attention to bear on the jitta, the heart, the, the felt sense, the emotive that that which feels affected by, uh, impinged upon by either the external circumstances or the uprising of our own inner material. Uh, so this this summiter, using an object uh, like the breath, uh, bringing attention to helping to calm, helping to steady, helping to focus. And, and by doing that, getting a taste, some of the fruits of the samatha practice, this is this sense of gatheredness, of samadhi, the sense of and the mind, the heart, the body gathered and unified within awareness, within presence, and the taste of that being very pleasant, the sense of fluidity and lucidity, luminosity that can arise, the body feeling sometimes more light, uh, more spacious, the sense of time dissolving, becoming a bit more timeless. Uh, these are effects of the, 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 the experience of samadhi um, can be very uh, enjoyable, beginning to feel the possibility of inner well-being in a pleasure that's not dependent upon the senses, not dependent upon the sense pleasure so much. And so it's said if this is well cultivated, and for many of you, you experience this, particularly those of you who've been doing long retreats or done a lot of retreats, you begin to, uh, it's one of the things that helps keep us engaged in this work is to begin to realize the possibility of uh, tasting and enjoying the, the uh, the delicious experience of a gathered, the, the taste of samadhi, a gathered mind and heart, it's very can be very sublime. Infusing the sense of our being, the body, with this uh, sense of lightness, uh, wellness. So this uh, this. Um, is one of the fruits and also the, one of the effects of a gathered mind is that uh, we begin to become more present and see more clearly the nature of things as they arise and uh, pass, the nature of thought, the nature of perception, the nature of feeling, the nature of sensation, the nature of the constructs of mind. 
and the, and how the sense of self gets shaped around that. So the the limitation in one of the things that Jatindriya um, talked to this morning, which I'd like to to develop a bit, is that the. Uh, she talked about the two wings of practice as, as calming and insight. Uh, samatha vipassana, samatha dhamma vichaya, investigation, inquiry into dhammas, into compounded things, balanced by this gatheredness, this, uh, this calming. One of the um, limitations of samatha meditation is that uh, if you've noticed that our stillness and our calm and our ability to feel, uh, if if we have access to that, a sense of inner well-being is is often very dependent on uh, quite a lot of control. Uh, to have some peacefulness here and tranquility, which is uh, you know, the sense of being tranquil, <laughs> tranquilized, almost <laughs> meditation retreat, is dependent on us actually not speaking to each other, not. Uh, <laughs> disturbing each other uh, and having you know quite a rigid regime actually that that contains all of this contains our energies uh, silence and structure and schedule and it depends on a lot of vitaka which is uh, the volitional use of you know the the uh, directing of attention supported by will subtle even subtly or effort to bring attention to the present moment to to steady to hold attention here and now um, even if we do a little bit of that we'll feel a little bit of the fruit of it we'll feel a little bit of a benefit but what happens when we can't we can't exercise either our internal capacity our will to hold attention if you've ever been are really sick, for example, and you can't really steady, steady your mind, and uh, get very, can easily get very overwhelmed with uh, feelings of anxiety and pain, and uh, or the will gets very weak, and the mind becomes like a spaghetti soup. You can't hold any clear attention; can be very fuzzy. Or if, on the external level, uh, we become disturbed. Uh, you know, we, we we feel something's disturbing us, disturbing our tranquility. Then we can easily lose uh, that sense of well-being, that sense of centeredness. So, although gatheredness and samatha and samadhi are very important, they're not seen as a, an end in, in and of themselves. It's not, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it's not a question of just getting more and more and more peaceful. And, and defending ourselves from contact with the world around us. I remember one of the um, times that Ajahn Chah came to London, and um, one of the first occasions that he came to teach in the West, in the UK, it was the first time he came. Here he came to the West, he came to London, and um, he was scheduled to give a, a Dhamma talk at the Hampstead Buddhist Vihara, in, uh, on Hampstead Hill. This was about 1977. And um, across the, the it was a summer evening, and so the the, the windows of the of the Vihara were open. And across the road there was a pub with a rock band. That night, the same night that Ajahn Chah was to give a dhamma talk, 
So you can imagine it was quite upsetting for the people that had spent a lot of time organizing this and getting him you know, to come. And, and the room was packed and he couldn't really be heard and there was this sort of rock concert going on and everyone got incredibly agitated except him. He just was sitting there and smiling, quite you know, listening to it all. And at the end, you know, at the end of the, you know, the end of the evening, he just said, "Well, you know, did did that sound disturb you, or did you go out and disturb that sound? You know, what, <laughs> what was happening there? You know, did you know? Do are we? Is it really the sound? Is the sound the problem, or is it what we're doing with it? Is it really the effect um, that we're with, or is it what what we do with it? I mean, this sounds like a very simple teaching, but it's actually quite profound." Is it really the nature of the world? Is it really even the nature of what we experience in, the, our term, in terms of our internal material and the unfolding of it? Or is it really what's the suffering there? Or is it the relationship we have to it? You know, it's the reactivity. It should be different. I don't want what's here and I want something else. These, uh, these two um, energies of that, that consistently, unconsciously operate in every moment that undermine our sense of well-being and generate an experience of what's called dukkha or struggle or stress is this, uh, this unquestioned assumption that in every moment uh, I don't particularly want what's here and I want it another way. And that's not to say that we should never change anything or try and improve anything, but when we don't, when we constantly changing things out of that assumption then often we don't ever really get to the the result that we would like there's always something else left to do we can't really rest so traditionally this samatha or this calming strengthening of our capacity to be present and to to, to clarify the instrument of our inquiry the mind itself is balanced with this wisdom, this inquiry into actually what is the nature of dhammas. It's called dhammavichaya, the investigation into the nature of dhammas, the nature of things as they arise and pass away. So one of the um, <coughs> things that Jatindriya territories, that very classical territory that Jatindra spoke to this morning is the you know, one of the things that we come up against very quickly on a retreat is the is that which hinders our capacity to uh, dwell peacefully here, to be rooted, the mind to be rooted in its own awareness, the heart to be rooted in its own knowingness, in its own lucidity, in its own intu- intuitive uh, response, awakened response. You know, what actually blocks this innate capacity? Because it is innate, it's not that it's not there, that the, the heart's liberation isn't there, that it's just blocked, it gets obstructed. Uh, and so at some point we have to come to terms and begin to, begin to come into relationship with this experience of being hindered or obstructed. And that's laid out very classically in the, uh, the teaching on the five hindrances, isn't it? The, the kamasava, the uh, scanning continually uh, of the sensory realm for the right taste, touch, sight, smell, thought, uh, feeling tone, uh, sound, uh, to bring a sense of, you know, uh, some sense of 
contact through the senses that will somehow assuage this underlying feeling of lack or um, this feeling of uh, not being enough somehow or want, just wanting. I mean, that comes up quite strongly on a retreat. Jitendra and I were making a, a joke tonight, make a confession now, <laughs> that we, we were going to go out for an Indian takeaway <laughs> and put on a Dharma talk, just press the tape. So the desire for some sort of, you know, I don't quite know what we were... Uh, well, and, the, and the cinema afterwards. Oh, and, and the movies afterwards, yeah. yeah. yeah That's a double confession. I wasn't going to mention that, but anyway, <laughs> she has. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, God, you know, this just this feeling of, oh, you know, it's actually quite hard to be in this space sometimes. It's with, you know, this seeking mind coming up. Um, and, uh, yes, I, I know we all know what it is to to live that out, yeah, in various ways. I remember when Kitty Sara and I, my partner and I, were having a really hard time when we were at the Hermitage in South Africa. And we said, oh, no, no, listen, we're going to, we, you know, this is, we're just going to go to the movie and, and escape for a while. So we went to a movie. And it's, it's not easy to go to the movie there. This is like a two, three-hour drive out from the mountains into the town, which is really actually difficult to drive uh, night and it's quite scary but you know the, the force of the drive of like what's called uh, the, the bawa the becoming the sensory kamasava the, the, the becoming energy the seeking energy the you know the sort of the heat seeking <laughs> setting <laughs> looking for something so we went to see a movie and came out of that and said let's go and see another one so we went back in and they, you know, it was a crap movie so we went back in and saw another one came out and was like, didn't do it, let's go see another. <laughs> so this particular day we came out of three movies and I just felt really horrible. This big migraine, I had to drive all the way back and sort of woke up the next morning and thought, oh, yeah, they didn't really do it, did it? No. <laughs> and it's, it's like that. It's that feeling of sometimes just being, you know, really, um, you know, this, this taste of oh, something, what is it? And there's something I just to fill that gap. And of course, on a retreat, we get confronted with that uh, that hole, <laughs> that gap. Yeah. And it's it's very it's very hard to endure that actually, to actually just meet it and to know this is you know what arises out of that this this feeling of of looking for something. And that's natural enough. It's not that these are evil tendencies or there's not a judgment value it's just illuminating because it's 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 that energy when it's i mean eventually we work to transform that energy that energy can be useful to us when we actually consciously start to work with it and transform it and have it support in a skillful way our aspirations but when it's unconscious and just drives us it never gets satiated so this first hindrance, or, or sometimes it's put in the list of what's called the asavas, the floods, that which floods us and moves us, floods us into becoming, shapes us, shapes the whole sense of self. And we find ourselves living out these energies. Um, and if they're unconsciously, you know, unconsciously pushing us around, then actually what they, they tend to do is... Uh, that often bring us to even more alienated places, more dislocated places, more sense of uh, of um, pain, momentary pleasure, and then and, and and in response to in response to some one of the questions that came was like, well, you know, it's 
it's all very well talking about suffering, but what about, you know, actually I quite have pleasant things to look forward to. You know, and, and how, how's that in relationship to meditation? Sitting here thinking, well, I'm not really suffering very much, you know, but I enjoy thinking about the things in my life that are quite pleasant and going well. And, and, it's, and again, it's all very innocent in a way. You say, yes, in the mind, it's, you can sit here. And I, I have a lot of that, a lot of becoming energy, thinking about the good projects, the good works, good things. Um, but again, it's not that, this, that anything's wrong with that, but in this meditative inquiry, when we challenge that asafa, that flood, when we stop the flood, when we dam it up, what you know, a couple of things happen. One, uh, we get to investigate um, the pull of that and to begin to realize, do we, do we want to go with that flow? Because um, one thing Ajahn Chah said that all of meditation in some ways is a preparation. Preparation for when something hits and we can't move, something really big hits us, you know, uh, or some powerful passion that's just going to sweep us away and get us into trouble, or some situation where we get really confronted with very, very difficult circumstances. And so when we, when we challenge those asava, those, those floods, it strengthens us. And so when we sit here, we could sit here sort of daydreaming about all the nice things we can do. Um, I could sit here and fantasize about my great projects. I've got that kind of mind. Um, but I'm not really going to the root of that energy and challenging it. There's always, it's always this sense, of, this sense of self being shaped and moved forward and becoming something in the future. And it's very fragile. It's very fragile to feel ourselves in that way. What happens if it doesn't go the way we want it to go? And we have to meet the opposite, disappointment or betrayal, or loss of something that we have to lose or let go of, which is also a part of life. So it's not that these hindrances and these asavas or these floods or these energies are, are bad or wrong. It's just really the insight meditation or the the Dhamma Vijaya, the investigation into their nature is really illuminating them with wisdom. You know, when there's, uh, you know, holding steady with the with the strength of the samatha, of the steadiness of attention and the mindfulness, the sati, which is sometimes called the flood stopper, you know, and just actually containing those energies to contemplate them, to really contemplate them. What's going on here? What is the sense of self here? How am I located and shaped by this feeling of becoming something in the future? How am I located and shaped around the feeling of aversion or resistance or not wanting to be here? You know, this, this Wipawadana, this deep, prof profound feeling of something not quite committed to being embodied, being in our life, being incarnated, being in this moment, this sense of ambivalence. <laughs> we want to be here. And a, and a lot of meditation can be based on that. Unconsciously, we meditate to get somewhere else, somewhere where we don't have to feel so much. You know, so you know, it's not really called transcendence. It's called dis, you know, disassociate, <laughs> dislocation, disassociating. It's understandable enough. I've done it 
do it plenty of times myself. But it, but as we start to with the vipassana, when this, it, to illuminate, to actually see clearly God, that feeling of just not wanting to be here, wanting to be somewhere else, then there's a whole different relationship to it. We're not shaped by it. We're not becoming that. We're not forced and entrapped and enslaved to that shape and then forced to have to live it out. We are liberated from that form, from that shape. And the mind, in a way, when, it's, when the jitta or the heart is liberated from being shaped by these self-structures, then it liberates itself into its own nature, begins to know its own timeless, unshakable nature, its own luminosity, its own radiance, its own presence. So the Dhamma Vijaya, the investigation into Dhammas, is, is really beginning to know these energies, know these hindrances, you know, to know this this experience of what Chitindra uh, talked about this morning of doubt, wavering, uncertainty. Can I do it? Can't I do it? Is it going to work? Isn't it? Is it good enough? Am I good enough? The lack of confidence, very sabotaging sometimes. Am I doing the right meditation? Should I do this? Should I do that? There's not always an answer. There's very rarely <laughs> the right. There's answers. There's lots and lots of answers. You can ask lots of people, and they'll give you lots of answers. <laughs> but is there really an answer? You know, does is there anything that will really answer doubt? You know, to actually have a moment of knowing the awareness, the mindfulness, the investigative inquiry, to have a moment of just saying, this is doubt, is incredibly powerful. Not being the doubt, not having to be uh, following that, not having to get the right uh, shape of the self around the answer, and actually entering through the doubt into actually the real profound uncertainty and unknownness of life, and to tolerate that. This is the mindfulness, the steadiness of, of the mind helps us to really root deeply in the present moment awareness so we can tolerate these profound, uh, something so profound as the fundamental uncertainty of, of, ex of our existence as a self. So, so someone asked about Sotapanna, <laughs> this uh, stream entry. So I'd like to address that because one of the fetters or hindrances that gets seen through um, to taste this experience or what's called entering the stream or the tasting of Nibbana, one of the uh, fetters that's very clearly seen through is the nature of doubt. Doubt is very much connected with the shaping and the sense of self. So the, the three main fet, the three fetters, the three obstructions, uh, is this this wobble effect, this feeling of um, you know it can it can manifest in a million different ways. I I will it's always connected often with a sense of I, I I'll never be enough or I need to know something more I need to you know practice more. The other one, the third one, so it's doubt and sense of self, and the third one's called Sila Bhattaparamasa, which means um, a belief in rites and rituals, which is a very coarse translation, really, of, of uh, a sense of, uh, it's, a, it's a sense of somehow an I in time and space having to get 
things right and go through, um, you know, you know, to to get to the perfect state somehow, so then I can be in the right place, the right insight. If I can only do so many retreats, get so refined and so concentrated in my meditation, then maybe I can realize nibbana. And of course, that very assumption of a self in time blocks that realization, that very assumption of me being shaped uh, and moving in time to get to a realization is the block in and of itself. So this feeling as a practitioner and that underlying being moved by the sense of doubt of it never being enough, if that's not investigated, there's always this feeling I've got to practice a bit more, I've got to do a bit more, I've got to, you know, climb the mountain. And the the actuality and the structuring of the, the, the Four Noble Truths, the Third Noble Truth, which is the all about the realization of what's called Nibbāna, is really is really uh, the encouragement or the the insight around this third noble truth is that it only can be realized here and now. It's not an attainment. It's a realization. It's an opening. It's what happens when there's a letting go, a profound letting go of identification with any of the movement of phenomena as a sense of self, as a, as being shaped as a self. So in answer, the second part of the answer to the question that was asked, um, that as far as I understand it, uh, that this doesn't mean that phenomena ceases, as the question was asking. It's often, some, in some traditions, it's understood as all phenomena ceasing. As I have understood it from the Thai forest school, it means it's the cessation of the mind, that's the, the grasping mind, the identification, the movement of phenomena. So there's still movement, you know, still arising and passing. But the, uh, or another way that the Buddha said, it's like if you, you know, you went to a river and you saw it flowing. Well, I don't know if actually the Buddha put it quite, quite like this. Sorry. Anyway, it's a good analogy. <laughs> you went to a river and you saw it flowing and there are bubbles on the river. And you sort of look at it and you say, well, it's a river. You know, it has a name, it has a form, and you pick up a bubble and you look at it and it's poof. You can't find anything substantial. You know, where's the river? And we look at the self, we look at ourselves, we feel, yeah, this is a substantial me, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I've got this past, and I've got this storyline, I've got this history, and I've got these issues, and I've got this kind of psychology, and I'm going somewhere, and I've got these relationships, and I've got this identity, and I'm, you know, got all, I've got, I'm kind of fascinating, actually, if you get to know me, and I'm actually even a little bit special, <laughs> and unique, even, <laughs> you know, it's me, <laughs> and when I think about my, you know, storylines, guess who's in the middle of them, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's kind of great, isn't it, the, the story of me, uh, and it looks like something really, you know, it's really happening here, you know, it's like that river, and I've got a lot to back it up. It's pretty convincing. I convince myself all the time that I'm here in a pretty you know, substantial way. But it's like if I start to, with the mind of Dhammawijaya, starting to investigate and look, it's like looking at those bubbles. You know, is this feeling? Yeah, it's feeling in the guts. The feeling so heavy. And, you know, is it this uh, sensation? Is it this thought? Is it this memory? Is it this perception? 
So all of these is packaging. You know, when they're investigated, it's it's like that bubble. You know, all dhammas, as said in the, in the um, Diamond Sutra, all dhammas, you know, they're like bubbles, they're like dreams, they're like a lightning flash. Shadows contemplate them thus. Anything we pick up and we look at, poof. So this contemplating them thus, contemplate them thus, the tathagata, this thusness, the suchness of the dhammas, being able to bring into relationship from the awareness of the mind. You know, that's the beginning and the end of the journey, because... You know, this whole sense of, of moving somewhere, this whole sense of becoming something, as that's investigated and drops away, then where can we ever go? What can we ever become? So it's said, in, you know, when the, 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 the jita or the mind awakens to its own primordial nature of awareness as awareness, then it sees from that place of vijja or clear seeing, it sees all things as dhammas, as nature, arising its nature, doing its thing perfectly, arising and passing. When we see it from avijja, from a lack of clear seeing, from the ignorance of the heart, from the assumptions of the heart, from the shaping of a self and other then it's sangsara, it's this feeling of always trudging on to the next thing. The end, what's called the endless wandering. I've always, I've got to somehow still get there, wherever there is. And it never, we never quite, if you've noticed, (laughs) we never quite get there, do we? So that's the primary ignorance, the primary sense of ignoring, not really, you know, seeing that movement, that, uh, that what's called the flood of becoming. And the flood of uh, you know that which is resisting here and now. So, so illuminating the work of the, the, the these go together. The the, the, the the samatha, the calming, the steadying, not just for in and of itself. Whether it's a lovely fruit to experience the bliss, a unified heart, mind, body, energy, but so to turn that towards this contemplation this contemplation of the dhammas. So it's not that the world, you know, ceases somehow. It it is as it is. Things arise and pass, but it's a different relationship. And in in the moments of letting go, of needing anything, needing to be any other way than it is, then there's the taste of that which is peaceful. The underlying suchness or the peacefulness. And realize that actually, you know, it's, there is that which is already peaceful. Not going anywhere, not becoming anything. So in some schools of thought, this is the, you know, the end, the goal. In others, it's the beginning. <laughs> you know, it's in the in their understanding of the the bodhisattva, or the bodhicitta, 
the, the awakened heart or the aware heart is still in response, in relationship to the world, to the world. So this is something that would be nice to explore a little on this retreat, what that might look like, how that is. One thing that the great Chinese master, Master Wa, said that uh, you know, when, the, when the heart lets go and realize the essential emptiness of all phenomena, it's not really that there's emptiness. He said emptiness isn't empty because there's wonderful existence. This is, an, this is the way that the Chinese call the Dhammas. Emptiness isn't empty because there's still manifestation. There's still wonderful existence, the mysterious existence that's coming into it, whatever's coming into existence in this moment. However, wonderful existence doesn't exist because it's empty. You can't find any substance. So you can't deny existence and you can't affirm emptiness. So... uh, To continue that exploration, I'm going to have to hand that piece over to Jatindriya at some point. (laughs) The middle way. The last thing I just want to say uh, tonight is a a bit more in relationship to working with our material. Uh, What comes up in, you know, the sort of the the grind of the the meditative process and, uh, you know... uh, and just again as a way of encouragement that a lot of what we experience in, in, our, in our meditation is just the effects of what's gone on from the past. You know, it's, it's often we, we're just with the accumulated kamawipaka, the resultant effect of whatever's been conditioned from the past. And that's not necessarily personal, although we interpret it very personally. And it feels very personal, you know, but... Um, you know, it can be so many strands flow into that effect. You know, it is about my personal, um, the effects from whatever I've done personally, but it can be from our family, from our ancestors, from our society, globally. There can be so much that can flow into an effect that's emerging uh, in the present moment experience. And this emergence, we can just broadly call sankara or shape or form. It can have emotional effect. It can have um, mental construct, cognitive shaping. It can, you know, it has many different memory uh, perception in it. It has a flavor of familiarity. Um, and if if that's a pleasant effect, that's great. But sometimes what we're working with can be just downright really difficult, and very painful, you know, very solid compacted sense of uh, emotional pain of some sort or another um, or very old patterns I, I've got a very deep and old pattern of, of lack of worth it's very um, it's, I'm happy to mention it because I know I'm not alone in it <laughs> but it can appear just in any moment I'm just mentioning one out of a billion that I have um, <laughs> out of my Pandora's box but something can come along and just stimulate it, and then when it arises, it can be absolutely crippling, absolutely very uh, powerful self-judgment, undermining. Can even feel suicidal. I can even get to the place where I think I'm not worth I'm not worth anything. You know, I might as well jump off a cliff. I've had moments like that, and you know, when we when we feel that's us, it's devastating. You know, when we invest everything into this feeling of that's God, that's me. 
you know, we become something like that, it's, it can be really, um, really devastating. But what I'd like to encourage, what I find very powerfully effective in, the, in applying this meditative process is in the same way as we explore the momentum of the hindrances, we can bring them to bear on some of these patterns. By first of all, what's felt very us, very subjective to me, begins to become a little bit more objective, a little bit more like just being able to, in the inquiry, to say this is a state. You know, and it has this flavor to it, this coloring to it, these thoughts to it, these storylines to it. Um, and then holding the, the steadiness of attention. You know, sometimes we, we really um, can just be with that, holding awareness to that state and, and compassionately. I think one of the themes that Chitindra spoke very beautifully to this morning was the Brahma Viharas and the holding of compassionately some of these, some of these really unbearable states that we can experience. You know, and being willing to feel them sometimes just feel feel them but not feel them to be overwhelmed or shaped by them but to feel them in a way to acknowledge them so that they can be released let go of the teacher in Sumedha used to call it releasing the prisoners of consciousness you know, and in some ways the meditative process is a bit like opening the trap door of the things that have been unconscious sometimes not conscious to us and there's some of these things that take the opportunity to appear you know all our, all our relegated things that we don't want to feel go like oh great there's some awareness here oh, let me just kind of flood in <laughs> and we go oh no my meditation's going screwball you know I was so peaceful and here I am you know in this old kind of resentful memory you know that I'm it's like well actually it's great and if we know how to work with it, if we know how to just come to the breath, steady our attention, invite that form in even, and begin to just apply some of these skills, attentiveness, compassion, inquiry. It's like the story that Kitty Sorrow tells when he was a prison chaplain and um, the person that was in for, for murder. It's pretty heavy. And uh, he'd gone in as a, a Buddhist monk to do a meditation group. And um, they sat round in a circle together and uh, he said, well, let's do some meta meditation. And this guy says, I haven't got any, I haven't got any compassion, I haven't got any kindness. If I could, I'd break that bastard's neck again okay so I thought well this is going well <laughs> this, is a, this is a swinger <laughs> you know what do you do with that you know it's like oh my god <laughs> so I mean what he said is well can you can you have compassion for that feeling I haven't got any compassion you know that because that's like an energy that's a being so when we talk about the bodhisattva we're not necessarily talking about anything outside of this one mind, including those beings that appear in our mind, this mind. You know, that feeling, I haven't got any compassion, really dark and heavy and condensed and constricted. Can we actually have compassion for those places in our being that are actually coming up for acknowledgement? They're not coming up to be condemned, to be judged, to be pushed back down again. 
They're not coming up, hopefully, for us to be shaped by them and have to live them through. They're coming up to be released, the prisoners of consciousness. So with this working with old sankara, old, these old forms, these old shapes, these old energy patterns that come up to visit us, which they will, just encourage us to have a lot of a lot of kindness, a lot of patience with these processes, a lot of medita- meditative processes just hanging out with some of that stuff. Not great states of bliss and light and transcendence. It's actually the gritty work of just being willing to be with these feelings of lostness or feelings of that hold that doesn't ever get fed properly or that, you know, these very uh, painful states or just being bored and dislocated, restless. These are very uh, insidious things. They, they, you know, they, they hang around and hang around and hang around until we really meet them with the compassion that they need, with the mindfulness and the steadiness of heart and inquiry that's, uh, that they're inviting. So just to finish tonight's talk with an analogy of the uh, Bodhisattva heart, this awakened heart, it's not going anywhere, it's just in relationship to the beings that come and go, responding out of compassion. It's, a, it's being a meditator, it's a bit like uh, being a tree. It's a bit like we're, we're trees. That's how I see it sometimes. You know, we know what happens when the trees start to get cut down. It doesn't look like trees are doing very much, does it? They just sort of hang around doing their thing, you know, and just say, oh, it's a nice dioxide. And they generate oxygen, oxygenation, oxygenate the planet so that we can remain healthy. And as they're, as they're disappearing, you know, we're getting... We're getting poisoned by our own toxins. <laughs> well, as a meditator, there's a lot of psychic toxin, toxins as well, a lot of undigested, unreleased energies, both that we experience from our own karma and globally. And so as we become more empty and dwell more in the unshakable heart, then we become the space that can allow these forms that haven't found release to just move through, to be touched by moments of kindness, moments of attention, moments of compassion, so that they can be released. And then in our awareness, we allow uh, a space of health, a space of freedom, which is an offering, which is a very profound offering. And so may all of us grow into our potential May all of us be free from that which obstructs the innate purity, clarity, luminosity, peacefulness of this heart. <laughs>